Let's sing that again. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Is that your prayer this morning? Make it ever, ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Where may I be like you? are the potter. Will and I am the clay. Hold me and make me. Lord, this is what I I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it that is going on in the world right now and they don't have anywhere they can go with their issues. Amen. So they freak out. They get scared. But I'm thankful there's somewhere we can go. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome you to the service this morning. Uh, I want to welcome everybody that's here. And uh, we've got a lot of people that are streaming as well. So we want to welcome them uh, to the service. I'm going to ask our uh, brother Ethan Pritchard if he'll come and open the service in a word of prayer. We've got quite a few folks uh, that we need to remember in prayer that are traveling or away. Uh, we want to remember Brother Anwar and his family up in uh, uh, New York. They've been without power, as you may have seen Brother Barry's update uh, for the last four days or so, and I don't know if their power is back on yet, but we want to remember them in prayer from the storm. Uh, the Sylvesters are away. Godwins are away. The Irishes are away. 
Um, Brother Jaron is on call this morning. Pascals aren't here. Whitlocks aren't here. Knoblocks aren't here. Brother uh, John and Sister Laura Harwell are away. Uh, Steve and Sister Sarah Coffey, when I remember them, they're ministering up in Virginia. The McGarrys are in Michigan. But hey, well, the rest of us are here, so that's good. we got lots of folks that are missing, so uh, we want to remember all of them that are away that uh, they have safe traveling uh, mercies. I would also ask you to remember in prayer, one of my employees, uh, his mom just passed away on Friday. She had been on the ventilator for a couple weeks from the covid and uh, she just uh, passed away Friday night. Uh, Christian lady, her husband's actually, uh, they're ministers. Uh, her husband's a minister, a pastor at a small church in Charlotte. So I'd ask you, of a denominational church, so I'd ask you to remember my employee in prayer and their family. If you have any unspoken prayer requests, just make it known by the Lord. I am so thankful, like we just sang, we can cast all our cares. Amen. doesn't matter what's going on, what's happening. Amen. There's somewhere where we can go and we can hide no matter the chaos that's happening. Amen. Whether it's in our own personal lives or what's going on in society. Amen. We always have problems. Whether they're spiritual, financial, physical. Amen. We all have problems. And I'm thankful. Amen. Brother Ethan, if you'd come and open the service in a word of prayer. to you this morning, Lord, thanking you for another day of worship that you've given us, Lord, and come worship you. Lord, as Brother Ben was saying, we just want to cast all of our cares on you and lay it at your feet and let you take care of all the issues of life, Lord, and the things that happens, Lord. Every request here that's placed before us, Lord, we bring them to you. I just ask you to touch every one, Lord, that's afflicted and is pain, Lord, just uh, help them, Lord. We just ask you to come down and touch everyone in this service and speak to every heart, Lord, that has questions, has concerns. Just come down and breathe the breath of life to them, Lord. Lord, we just... Uh, ask you to take complete control of the service. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
let's sing it. I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord, I need you, Lord, right my hands and I bow my knees and I worship at your throne because I need you Lord yes I need you Lord right now we need you Lord one more time service. Uh, you may have your seats. We want to welcome our visitors. We have a brother and sister here from Florida. I didn't get your names, but uh, we want to welcome you and uh, hope you feel welcome here and uh, you enter right into the service with you, with us. Let's sing Power in the Blood. Amen. I'm thankful that there's power in the blood, aren't you? Amen. If it wasn't for that blood, where would we be today? Amen we would still be in bondage to our sins. Amen? Would you be free from your burden of sin? Well, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would you be full of victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power. Of the land, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the land. Now would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. To Calvary's tide, there's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power. 
the Lamb. Let's sing verse 4 again. Now would you do service for Jesus your King? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. life is o'er. Amen. I'm ready to get out of this pest house. Amen. Aren't you? Amen. Well, some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll, I'll fly away to a on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. This life is thrown out. I'll fly away. Well, like a bird, a prison bars has flown. Just a few more weary days in bed. Amen. Fly away. Well, to a land where joy shall never end.
die. Hallelujah, by and by. Ah, one more time, I'll fly away. And we're going to change the order of the service as we get ready for our pastor to come and do the most important part of the service, amen, for us to hear the word, because that's what's going to change our lives, amen, is the word, amen. Um, let's sing uh, Something Keeps Holding Me, Every Day I See, amen. Let's start. We'll start with the verse, yeah. Trial of this world was getting closer. Amen. The pull I felt was more than I could bear. And I was on the verge of giving over. Myself just wasn't there. Amen. Well, something keeps holding me. Hallelujah. Every day I see He's helping me faithfully overcome my trials. Constantly giving me victory. He's a reality. Something keeps holding me. Now Satan laid before me is To steal away my faith I have found inside the revelation Thank you, Jesus
like today I keep singing a verse of the song again. And I want to do it again one more time if you'll have grace with me. I want to sing that verse too one more time. All of us have temptations in our lives. And all of us, our temptations are different from each other. Every one of us has a different temptation that Satan hits us with. And we all know what that is inside. But I am thankful for the revelation. Amen. And for the grace that He keeps holding us that even if we make a mistake and we fall and we give in to that temptation, we do something, we hit, He keeps holding us. I'm thankful for that blood and for that. Aren't you? Amen. If you can give with me one more time, let's sing that verse one more time. Amen. Satan laid before me his temptation will and his desire to steal away my faith. Oh, but I have found in time the revelation. Thank you, Jesus. Will the strength I need to keep me in His grace? Oh, something keeps holding me. Hallelujah. Every day I see He's helping me faithfully to overcome my trials will guide me constantly yes giving me victory he's a reality it's something keeps one more time will something keeps holding me have to hold ourselves, but Lord, you hold us in position. 
You have brought us to this place. You will bring us to the next place. For that we thank you. We love you. We ask, Lord, that you would just come and breathe upon the word of life today. And, Lord, and make it live in our hearts. We commit our every need, our every concern and burden to you. And pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would take every spirit under your control. And that, Lord, you would just speak the word of life to us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would look at us through the blood of Christ. And, Father, forgive us for our mistakes and our failures. Lord, have your way among us today. There are many needs, many concerns. We commit them to you now in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated just for a moment this morning. Thank you, musicians, and thank you for the uh, contribution you've made today and for all of you for singing so nicely. It sounds so wonderful. Uh, It sounded like there was a thousand people out here. That's the way it sounded to me. And uh, we appreciate uh, you being here today. Now, Walters, right? Sister Cindy, it is an honor to have you with us today. God bless you. Good to have you here. Good to have all the Buchanans here today. And uh, may God bless you and uh, appreciate you very much. Our friends from Florida here, they haven't been living in Florida for the last little while. Good to have you here. And uh, we appreciate you visiting with us today. Good to have Bilton, right? Only joking. Good to have you back. Good to have you with us today. Uh, we appreciate you. And, uh, you know, these folks we've been keeping in contact with them. They might not have been in the sanctuary, but uh, it's good to have them here today. And we appreciate you uh, being with us. Such a nice, wonderful atmosphere here today. And I want to jump right in. But a couple of things that I wanted to share with you today. First of all, we have a couple of birthdays. Brother Andy Irish's birthday today. I texted him this morning. Probably woke him up. And uh, they're away on their little uh, family time uh, this week, so it's Brother Andy's birthday. Uh, Yesterday was Ethan and Anna's anniversary, right? Fifth anniversary. God bless you both. August 10th, John and Jennifer Cockman's anniversary, right? 24. 24 years. God bless you, Brother John. Appreciate that enthusiasm after 24 years. It's a lesson for all of us. August 12th is the shepherd's anniversary. Do you know how many years, Sister Sarah? Sixty? How much? Sixty? Really? Wow. That's wonderful. Brother Dennis and Sister Sue, God bless you. Uh, we appreciate them very much. And uh, may the Lord richly bless you. That's a real testimony for sure. August 14th is Sister Sarah Vasaki's, uh, uh, I was going to say her anniversary, um, it's the anniversary of her birth. God bless you, Sister Sarah. We appreciate you being here, and may the Lord richly bless you. I had a note this morning. Uh, I've been staying in contact with Brother Anwar. Uh, their power went out on Monday uh, from uh, living in New York and from the hurricane. It is still out. He said things are getting bad in in that part of their town. So uh, I told him that we would be sure praying for him today, and I uh, I would like to send a, a little extra. We, we help Brother Anwar monthly for the work that he's doing, and I'd like to send a little extra uh, to him and his family. They probably lost all their food, and, uh, you know, there's just, uh, it's, it's just, he said it's been really tough without power for that long. So we sure want to uh, remember them in prayer. He said that they have been telling them the power would be going on uh, today. 
Well, this morning was quite a morning. Uh, we had uh, uh, my phone started to light up, and Sister Becky's also as well as we were driving down. And uh, at 8.01 this morning, we were driving and missed the strongest earthquake in 94 years. Now, whether you realize it or not, uh, that part of the country, uh, Sparta, is where uh, we actually have just been there uh, because that's where Sister Molly uh, was buried and also Brother Luther are buried right there at, at Sparta, uh, the graveyard up there on the mountains. And it's a beautiful, beautiful area, borders Virginia. It is actually, whether you realize it or not, it is the convergence of three earthquake zones. So there are three seismic zones that all meet in that area. And unbeknownst to most of you, there were five earthquakes yesterday. They were all smaller in magnitude, but this morning things got heated up a little bit and we went to 5.1. They're expecting more today. So since 1926, uh, that's been the strongest earthquake in the state of North Carolina. So uh, things are happening certainly around us. And um, they had minimal damage up there, which we were thankful for. Uh, but everybody uh, who was not driving felt uh, the earthquake. I think most people did. Um, Brother Keith had fire alarms go off in his house. Everybody uh, looks like had some sort of a uh, shock. Now, my wife regretted driving today because she, uh, she has some real memories of being in earthquakes. And uh, she said, you know, we missed it. We were driving. So... I said, you know, there are some things that are not bad to miss. There are some things that are good to miss and some things that are not so good to miss. And uh, earthquakes are one of those things. So uh, we, are, uh, we are thankful that there was no further damage. I, my thoughts immediately went to the fellowship hall and the floor over there. But <laughs> we have overcome, right? Praise the Lord. I was going to drive right to Ben's house, just past the church here. Let's go right to Ben's house and see how things were. Well, let me, uh, let me just invite you now this morning uh, to turn in your Bible, if you will. We're going to go to the book of Philippians. We'll have you stand one more time, and we're going to uh, look directly into the Word of the Lord. I have got a lot of hay on my fork here this morning, and we are going to, at the end of our service today, we're going to uh, have a little communion service, meaning that we're going to have the bread and the wine uh, today. We're not going to do foot washing but we're going to have it for anyone who would like to participate this morning. And uh, the deacons, I watched them uh, this morning prepare all of this. Uh, they did it very carefully with gloves and masks on. They took all the, the bread and, and uh, divided it up. So at the end of service, we'll have a, little, a, a chorus or two. And uh, if anybody, no one has to do this. So you're certainly, uh, we'll give you a moment if, if somebody would like to slip out. You're certainly welcome to do that. But if you want to take the communion, the bread and wine, we will have uh, prayer over that, and then we'll distribute it among you, and we'll take it together. Uh, so you're w- certainly welcome to do that. It isn't normal. It isn't the, the ideal way, but it is something that at least we can do to, uh, to celebrate communion and participate in that together. And uh, we haven't done it this year because of, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a, a year to remember, that's for sure. And uh, we, Lord willing, when we get back to normal, we get those things back to normal as well. So we'll do that at the end of service today. Philippians, the third chapter, let's have you read uh, there this morning. <clears throat> Paul writes, and he says in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that which are behind, 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, I'm going to start this out typically this morning. We're going to look at a couple of statements uh, from the scripture. We're going to look at a couple of key quotes here. And uh, as, we, uh, as we do this, I want to give you a principle concerning the tactics of our enemy. And then we're going to apply it in a very modern uh, environment, a very modern uh, context in relation to the Middle East. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be jumping a little bit, and you need to stay with me here. This will be more, uh, I think it will be more infor- informative and more current than theological. And so I want you to, to watch, uh, watch this this morning, and I have a number of things that I want to share with you that are unique. Let me give you a little statement here Brother Brandon makes about earthquakes in 1954. He says, Father, we thank thee tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ. And for his power and his love, who said the tidal waves would break the shores up, up and down the banks of the sea, and great signs and wonders would appear in the heavens, such as flying saucers and things. It's really interesting because I could stop on every one of those things and tell you things that are happening today, from flying saucers, UFOs, to to the uh, great shores breaking up in Nunavut, and all the other things that are taking place in our world. We could spend a whole service on just that paragraph right there. Because of these signs would cause uh, the world to fear and to quake. And it would cause earthquakes in diverse places and all manner of things and perplex, perplexity of time and distress between the nations. So you're living in a day when these scriptures are being fulfilled right before you, right under your feet. Hopefully not in this service, but right under your feet these things are being uh, fulfilled. So again now, uh, living in the times we're living in, I want to give you two more statements here. Uh, that kind of set us up here for where we're going. The identified Christ of all ages in 1964. A revival doesn't mean getting new members. It's reviving what we've got, what we've already got. I stood watching waves on Lake Michigan and uh, how they were coming in, just sweeping in and out. And then waves start somewhere out in the lake. And as they come, they build up momentum all the time, and finally they strike the shore, and just to go out and come in again. And that's the way the waves of God's glory does. It comes in, it rolls over and over and back and forth, and waves of joy roll through our souls. I, I wonder, I wondered, Brother Bram standing there on the shores of the lake, and he said, I wonder what, what's the use of that? What's the purpose of that? What's the use of those waters churning up and down? He says, but nature has a way of taking care of itself. You remember Brother Branham describing how that at the end of these up, uproars in the lake, he said a lot of the debris is laying on the shore. And a lot of those logs and branches and all the other things that don't belong in the water, he says, they, uh, they can't stand being in the water. And so they're churned out and they pile up on the shore there. And he said, you, you go back a day later and the waves are calmed down. He said, the waters are just pristine again. It's nature's way of taking care of itself. Now, I, I just want to say this, that uh, the, at the end of the storm or the end of the uproar like this, there's not any more or less water generally in the lake. It's all still there. 
What was there at the beginning is there generally at the end of all of that. And what I, what I think, thought was interesting is that Brother Branham said, you know, we think about these waves and are sweeping in. He said they start somewhere. They start out in the lake. Now, what we see very often is standing on the shoreline. We see the waves breaking on the shore, and we think that's it. But the waves on the shore and the, and the, the turmoil that we see is really only evidence of something else that's happening far deeper and, and a lot farther away from where we are. Would you agree? So there's, there's, there's something that happens on the surface, but that's only a result of what's happening in the deep. A lot of times we are affected by and we are pulled by the, the, the news cycles that surround us. That's where we get a lot of our information, is, is what we see flashing in front of us. And as soon as that, uh, as soon as a new headline comes, uh, the, the old one that was there is replaced by another new wave that comes in, right? There's another wave and another wave and another wave comes in. And, News cycles are dedicated to grabbing headlines and creating headlines, even whether those headlines are true or not. The important thing is to have another wave coming in and another wave coming in and another wave coming in. Do you understand? What I'm telling you is that that is a whole lot less important than what's really going on. The advantage that we have as Christians is the difference in our knowing. Not the difference in our Bible. Not the difference in having a church building. Not the difference in having a congregation and a setup like we have. And that's nice. But our advantage is our knowing. We have the King James Bible, just like a lot of other people read from the King James Bible. It's what you know is going on makes a difference. And lets you know what's really taking taken place below the surface. Today we want to look a little bit below the surface, all right? So this is what Brother Bram's observing, and he's giving us a little, uh, just a little illustration here for this. In the invasion of the United States, Brother Bram said we're living in the shadows of time, and it could happen any time. The end or the wind-up could happen any time. When we see the times come for things to take place, the very wickedness of the enemy, the very powers that are uh, manifesting in the earth, and he lists a whole bunch of things, we look at the snowstorms, everything happening, pestilences, Pestilences are viruses. In the, in the Greek word, it, it is plural. It is not just a singular thing. Uh, the, the, the inference is, and when Jesus describes the end time in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Luke 17, it refers to pestilences, plural. That's all caused by those interruptions of, of firing those bombs and things. <clears throat> he says they're messing up in God's big laboratory to fulfill his word. So you have, uh, you have nature that's doing certain things. You have man that's doing certain things. None of it is working out in our favor, in, in our favor of a peaceful earth, right? But they are signs that indicate to us we're living at the end time. How many would agree? So as man keeps messing in things... And our economy gets worse as a result of it. Nature tries to get even. And we have all of these things that are prophesied to happen. They're not just flukes of nature, but they're actually prophesied to happen in the last day. Those are, those, those are terrifying to the world. And they are a dread to politicians. But they should be signs to you that we're living at the end of things. Are we okay? Now... He says they're messing around in God's big laboratory to fulfill his word. 
They're messing around in God's big laboratory to fulfill his word. So they can mess with the weather. They can mess with, uh, you know, ballistics. They can mess with, uh, you know, uh, uh, diseases and all the other things that are out there. But it's all happening to fulfill his word. So the man of sin rising up, so deceitful. I heard a minister this morning, spirit-filled man, taking, uh, taking the mark of the beast and saying that the Antichrist was Russia. What an era. Error. Russia has nothing to do with it. No, sir. But notice in this great time that we're living, it's a warning. All of these things are warning. They're signs for us who live in this last day. Let me tell you, Satan does his best work from the back row of, back pew of the church. Forgive me for referring to you folks in the back pews. He does his, in other words, he does his best work out of sight. He's a, he's a deceiver. He hides. And he, and, and he, he lurks. Uh, he, he lays in waiting. And so therefore, that's, that's the thing that is most deceptive and most troubling about him, is that he does his best work that way. In the last day, though, he shows his hand. He's revealed as the man of sin. There's a power that's manifested on the earth. Uh, it, it's, it's not Satan's original design to show himself in the forefront because he is a deceiver and he hides. But in this last day, as Brother Branham says right here, he says now it all comes out, and in this great time it becomes a warning to the people of God. So there are lots of things that are happening uh, that, that tell us, uh, you know, the, now what lays ahead. Now, if you were like everybody else in the world who feed on the news cycle, they would just have dread and more dread and uncertainty to look forward to. We are not that way. Let me give you a scripture that you can hang on to in Psalm 73. David writes, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand, by thy power, by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Let me give you another version of that same psalm. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and leading me to a glorious destiny. And all the bride said, What we have is a glorious destiny that lays ahead for the people of God. And that's what I want to talk about today, is how that uh, all of these events that that take place in the world, they have to happen in order to fulfill the prophecies about our time. But remember, at the end of that, the end result is, is that God is going to take uh, His people to a glorious destiny. The destiny for the rest of the world is not so glorious. It is a violent and a tragic place to be, which is the tribulation. Now, you've got to remember, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, I'm just t- telling you what the book says, is that there are only two destinations for Gentiles when this is all over. The glorious destiny that David is referring to, which is, uh, you know, the kingdom of God and our place in it, and the wedding supper and the millennium, or tribulation on this earth. There's only two places that we can go. And that's why it's a great thing. Somebody wrote me this morning and they said, Wow, Dad, I expect the church to be filled today after the earthquake that we had. Let me tell you, uh, you know, we, we, that will happen. We, we will have people, you know, who inquire about that and, and, and so forth. But I will tell you something. God has stirred his bride long before now. Get our attention and let us know that we need to be in the right place. Now, I trust and pray that if there is a last seat out here somewhere, that they'll find their way to this church or some church that that preaches the truth so they can have what they need in order to get out of here. You don't need to have years and years and years and years sitting in a message church. But what you do need to have is a new birth experience. And you have to be foreordained of God to be in this body change that's, uh, that's laying ahead of us that brings us to our glorious destiny. You have to have that. That's for sure. 
And no church can give you that. That's something that God foreordained from before the foundation of the world. But this is what David uh, realizes that, uh, as we read on the rest of the psalm here, he says, whom am I in heaven but thee? In other words, where can I turn? Who else can I lean upon? Where else can I go? We can all answer that question easily. And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Thank God we have a place to turn, like Brother Ben was saying this morning. Now, there's also a, um, I'm just preambling a little bit. There's a, there's a proverb here that I want you to turn to, if you don't mind, because you need to mark this one if you have your Bible with you. Proverbs 24 and verse 13 and 14. Now, <clears throat> I, I, I wanted to research this even more. I have, uh, I have lots and lots of um, references that I use, and I, I go back and look at what Brother Branham said about things, and I look back in the original Hebrew of these words and uh, some, some of the trusted commentaries. And, and Solomon writes these words. He says, My son, eat thou honey because it is good. Partake of the things that are good. They're just good for you, and you should partake of them. <clears throat> and and I, always, I, I always think about this. I wonder... You know, should I be eating more honey? I, I, I wonder that sometimes, you know. I, I think I might. But, but either way, let's keep our minds on the lesson now. Think spiritual here. My son, eat thou honey because it is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. So shall, in other words, this next verse now connects to that one. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. So without going into a lot of explanation, where there is wisdom, there's a perception of the right outcome. And your expectation shall not fall or shall not fail. There's a correct understanding of the end of things or the, the expectation we have about the conclusion of things. And it will not be cut off. It will not fail. And this is what Solomon is saying. There are some things that God has given to you. Feed on those things. Take them in because they are good for you. In the same imagery that we have at the end of the book of Revelation when John takes the book and eats the book. And he said in his mouth, it's as sweet as honey. Remember that? Take it because it's good. It's a good thing. And with that wisdom that comes with taking in the word of God, there's a perception or an understanding of outcome. Are we okay? With wisdom that God gives, there comes built in with that an understanding of how things are going to end. An understanding of the end of things. And what, they, what, what Solomon is saying is that your expectation will not be cut off. In other words, uh, it, it'll not be, it'll not be uh, taken from you. It'll, it'll not be uh, different than what the wisdom of God declares. So in other words, I, I believe this, that... In this last day, God cracked off a great big piece of honeycomb and reserved it for the last days and gave it to the bride of Christ. How many would agree that this message is, is a sweet thing that comes from God? And when you take it in, there comes with that an awareness of the end of things, of the conclusion of things. And that expectation that comes from God is not a deception. The rest of the world is steeped in deception. Isn't that right? You remember when they asked Jesus and they said, uh, when shall the end be and the sign of the, you know, the end and when should all these things come to pass? And he says, take heed that no man deceive you. The end of things is going to be characterized by deception. 
But the wisdom you get from God will not deceive you. It will not lead you astray. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul writes that that day shall not come unless there come a falling away first. And the whole world lies in deception. It lies in darkness. Isn't that right? They really don't know what's going on. They really don't know what's next. But the wisdom that God has given to us has prepared us with an expectation for how things are going to come out. And you know what? It's going to happen. So take the good thing in. Eat it and enjoy it. And don't substitute something else in there. Take the thing that is good that God's given you and watch what comes with it. We are not aware of the times. We are not, we are not possessed with the right interpretation of the times because we're smarter than other people. Or we're wealthier than other people. That has nothing to do with it. Our knowing is different. Our knowing, our understanding is different than the rest of the world. How many can say amen? Your Bible is the same. Your, you know, our church order in many ways is the same. But I will tell you something. Our knowing is different. Our understanding of the times is different because God gives that, that spirit of wisdom and revelation with the word that he's given to us. It's in the package. He's given it to us in this last day. And I'm thankful for it. So therefore, there's an expectation that is given to the people of God. That expectation shall not be cut off. Things are going to happen. Things are, are, are going to happen the way that God says. He's not going to pull a buffalo out of the hat and, uh, you know, change the order. Now, listen, the order of events, uh, you know, the, the actual uh, how our bodies are going to be changed, I really don't know. I've never had my body changed. I try to change it all the time, and I've never had my body changed. And uh, I, so I, I really don't know. I just know this, that what God has promised, it's going to happen. So what Paul says, I'll show you a mystery. He says, uh, this, is, this is not, uh, not anything obscure. He says, behold, I'll show you a mystery. We shall, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's true. And when we cross over from this world to the other one, he says, uh, there's a body waiting, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, Right? So there's a change, there's a body, there's a wedding supper, there's a millennium, thousand years, and then new heavens and new earth. All of those things are going to come to pass. What it's going to feel like, I don't know. I really don't care. I just want to be there. That's all. And the expectation you get from this word is what it is is that's provided you with the wisdom to know how to act, how to conduct yourself, and the things you need to be doing in the last day. Are we okay? I'm just preambling here. Now, so at the end of the ages, and I, I believe I showed you this before, uh, when we come to the end of Revelation 2 and 3 and the candlesticks and, you know, the end of the ages there, that season of the end, the church goes into apostasy. There are things that happen uh, according to a judgment cycle that happens in Laodicea. And at that same time, the bride enters in, into what is identified as the bride age. It, it's concurrent with Laodicea. They go on at the same time. It, it is a time when the rapture cycle begins and our, 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 our view turns towards eternal things rather than, uh, you know, the, the, the tribulation by God's grace. And there's a cycle of restoration that begins in the earth uh, to move Israel back into her place and, and to prepare for those two prophets that rise up. And you'll find all of that in Revelation chapter 11. At that point is when the Antichrist rises and he begins to show himself. He shows his hand. He's identified by the word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And uh, he, is, he is someone who, uh, in, in a sense, he's working to bring the entire world under his domain, under his control. 
when he fully manifests his power, when he takes his place, you and I don't want to be here, and by God's grace, you and I won't be here. I'm doing everything I can to provide you with everything you need to not be here. And I believe the Holy Spirit is interested in you not being here as well, and uh, I trust that he will bring us to where we need to be. Now, again, Brother Branham says, I've showed you this quote, there's several key quotes that are found in the end of Brother Branham's ministry where he describes a season called the Bride Age, and he says, we're living now into this, we're not in a uh, kind of a normal church setting, there's been a separation from the church and bride, and so now he's identifying very, very categorically, very specifically, that there's an age there called the Bride Age, which is concurrent with Laodicea. Are you following me? Okay? So at the same time that the bride is enjoying the manna that God's got for her, Laodicea goes into darkness without oil for their lamps. Right? Matthew 25. There is, according to Zechariah, there is darkness and Isaiah 61 Gross darkness which covers the earth, darkness which covers the earth, and gross darkness which covers the people. All people are not in darkness. By God's grace, we're not. So there's a people who are walking in the light and people who are covered by gross darkness at the same time. Right? Okay. So let me graphically put it this way. You remember Brother Man describes things like a house and, you know, he talks about the the lower part, which is the foundation. He said the, the early church had its beginnings there. And then from there, the church ages, Revelation 2 and 3, which is where the most uh, members of the bride lived uh, in the, in the uh, you know, roughly 1,900 years. There were millions. I mean, we know that 68 million of them died in the dark ages there. So there must be, you know, millions and millions and millions of people who are, uh, who are included here over that time period. And then uh, we come to the age where there's a division that takes place in the last day. This is the capstone era where there's a prophet that shows up on the scene. God vindicates that prophet. And there's a cry, come out of her, my people, and come up hither into a place now where God loosens the seals from the book and reveals the entire book to the people of God that are on earth at that time. God doesn't give it to me. He gives it to, he takes the seals off, gives it to a prophet. Prophet comes out and says, I didn't know, I didn't know more than anything what that first seal was until he came in the room and showed me what it was. He said, I know nothing more about the second seal than nothing else. He said, we'll just trust that tomorrow he'll do the same thing. And he did. And from the opening of those seals, all the mysteries of God came out, tied together all the loose ends through the ages. And then from there, uh, you know, uh, things have unfolded and, and uh, revealed themselves through time since then. Right? We're a very blessed people. And then we, we find ourselves living in the last of the bride age, and this is the end of the Gentile dispensation. And so the last thing now that we're looking for is not another prophet. Uh, we're not looking for Joseph Branham all of a sudden to put a crown on and step out in front of everybody. and uh, you know, all, those, all those silly things that are out there, we're not looking for that at all. What we're looking for simply is the catching away of the bride of Christ. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for some super minister to come or some super set of sermons that have come. I believe what we need to change our body is here. We just need, we just need to get out of the way and let the winds of revival sweep through the church and quicken what God has already given to us. The honeycomb that's already there. Go ahead and eat it. 
Go ahead and eat it. That's what David said. Eat it. And watch what comes with that. The understanding of God's word and the understanding of the times that we live in. So it does not rest in personalities. This is not about, this is not about us ministers. This is about Christ. This is not about who's got the biggest church. This is about Christ. This is not about who's doing the most mission work. It's about Christ. Are we okay? And, and so that's what's important in the last day. But that's a, I, I just, I just, I'm a graphic person, so I, I just like to look at it that way. I have heard, but now I see. The elected of God seen it in Noah's time, Moses' time, Jesus' time, the apostles' time. The elected of God seen it in Moses' time. They caught Moses' message. They caught Noah's message. They caught Jesus' message and so forth. The elected always see it because my sheep hear my voice. The elect always see it. Because that was the seed that was on earth when this inspiration was poured out. If God's doing something, there has to be a seed or a people on the earth to receive what God's pouring out. God does not just pour out inspiration and have it fall on the ground, run down the gutter. God pours it out because there's somebody to receive it. And this is what he's telling us now. This is 1965. He said, now while the inspiration's poured out to gather the bride together... It's only those who are elected will see it. Jesus said, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast hid those things from the eyes of the wise and prudent and reveal it to babes such as will learn. And now inspiration has to strike it. So every one of us, I mean, if you're listening today and uh, you, you know you may not be familiar with the message, you know, you, you, some people will get critical and they'll say, uh, well, you know, you're just trying to make yourself the only people. Well, let's just, let's just do a very, very quick history lesson. There was only a certain group of people that got inside the ark. I mean, everybody didn't, because everybody didn't believe. Everybody had the opportunity. Everybody had 120 years to warm up to the idea of getting in the ark, right? But they didn't. Why didn't they? Because they weren't elected. I mean, there was some, there was something at work there that, that uh, you know, allowed them to look at something else more important than going in the ark and listening to what Noah said. Or whether it was the days of Jesus, or whether it was the days of the apostles, or whether it was the martyrs' testimony that they had. That, you know what, it's, 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 it's an anointing that God's given to us to lay down our lives, and to, and to be witnesses of our families even laying down their lives. And to not run away or turn away from, from the principles of God and God's Word. There, there's, there's a power at work there. And then for us to say, well, in the last day you're saying that, uh, you know, it's only an exclusive group. Well, it's been an exclusive group every age. So if it's not an exclusive group, then the logical conclusion of your argument would be that, well, then everybody's, everybody's going to go. Everybody in, in Laodicea, everybody in 2020, if the Lord, uh, you know, shut it all down today and we all went, which would be all right by my, by my calculation, but if he shut it all down today, that means that everybody would go. We know everybody's not going to go. Because there's a lot of people who really don't care what God says. Or what God does. Or what God has done. But there's an elect people who catch what God says because that seed is laying there. And there's an inspiration for them that is poured out and gives them an understanding of what takes place. I'd say this to you that are here, and I trust every one of you are that seed he's talking about. I would give you this, this instruction. Eat the honey. Honey is good. Eat it. God provide it. Eat it. Uh, listen, the rest of the things of this life are going to sort themselves out, and a lot of things we're going to leave behind, so don't get too uh, caught up in it. Just eat the honey. Eat, eat the thing that's good. 
And watch what God provides for you in the eating of that. Brother Bram says again, the Holy Spirit is here, which is Christ in spirit form. And that anointing was upon him. Listen now. I'm almost finished the preamble, believe it or not. The Holy Spirit is here, which is Christ in spirit form. And that anointing was upon him, is upon the church, we all. Let me read it again. And that, the Holy Spirit's here. And that anointing was upon him, is upon the church, we all. All y'all. That's the plural of y'all. All y'all. Now, it's just kept coming from justification, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost, restoration of the gifts, it's to the top of it. It's come from the base all the way to the top of it. It's coming in the minority all the time. It's together now. And there is a church, and now a bride will come out of the church. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's coming in the minority. So the group of people that believe like you will not be a majority when this is all over. As a matter of fact, it's, it's coming into a minority all the time. And there is a church, this is 1964, so it's, it's more minor, the numbers, more minor now than, it ever, than it's ever been. And there is a church, and now a bride will come out of the church. So it would have to look like this if it's coming in a minority all the time. Broader at the base, narrower at the top, it would look like this, wouldn't it? A pyramid. It's the way that Brother Ram describes it, the way he characterized the growth of the body of Christ and, and, and in terms of numbers. So this is, not, this is not an effort by God to get more people just to have more bodies. If so, the pyramid would have been reversed. God has never been interested in numbers. He's always been interested in his own. Now, <clears throat> having said all of that, Brother Branham tells us, he said, John being a type of the church, he said that he heard that voice come up hither, and he said, I showed you the church ages on earth, now come on up here, and I'm going to show you something that takes place up here. And the seals being opened and so forth. Christ had left the earth then, he had gone up into glory, church ages was through, and showed that his spirit was finished here. And he had gone into glory, was calling for John to come up. And he placed, and, and he showed him what else was going to take place. So this, this is the, all it is, I'm just showing you the scenario that takes place at the end of the, at the end of the ages. Now, let's talk for a little bit about the tactics of the enemy. Now here's where, you, if you have your Bible, if you don't mind, turn to Nehemiah chapter 13. And uh, I'd like to read a little passage here with you. Nehemiah chapter 13. This is the end of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's restoring, doing the work of restoring the walls and the temple and with Ezra and all the others that are involved there. Now I want to show you a little bit about how the enemy works, especially in times like we live in. Because as I said to you, it's subtility is his, uh, one of his characteristics. He does things on the sly. And, and a lot of times we're caught up in looking at the headlines and looking at the thing that's currently happening and failing to realize what's going on underneath. 
We fail to realize what's really taking place a little bit below. This is, this is a typical way that Satan works. Now, when it co- now come to pass, and I'm reading in, in verse 3, when they had heard the law, this is Nehemiah now, re- rehearsing the law in the ears of the people. When they had heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied with, or friends with, Tobiah. Now, Tobiah, if you... Uh, if you've read the book of Nehemiah, Tobiah was one of those people that tried to interrupt Nehemiah. And you remember wanted to have a meeting with him and said, why don't you come down to the plain of Ono and have a meeting with us down here. And Nehemiah said, hey, he said, I'm building the wall. You know, there's a great work that's going on here. I- I'm not going to be interrupted. And Tobiah and his friends, Sanballat and all these other guys, Gershom, uh, which you can tell they're bad guys by their names. They, the Bible says that they repeatedly came after Nehemiah. Five and six times they came after him. And they were trying to pull Nehemiah away from the work on the wall and the rebuilding, the commission that he's been given. Now let me just say this to you about uh, the commission that you're given. There's a role or there's a place for you that God has ordained. And when you find that place, that's what, what I'm going to refer to as a sweet spot. It's the place where God will bless you, God will honor you. And many times people will, from, from the success of that, they'll sometimes take on things that are not really what God has commissioned. And as a result of that, in other words, if this is great and everybody loves what I'm doing here, then if I do more, if I do different things, everybody's going to love me more. And so they'll take on things. They'll take on more than what they should. And they'll find that God doesn't bless that because they moved away from the original commission God ordained for them. Finding your position and staying in that position is a very important thing. Okay? So here's Nehemiah. He's got a, he's got a revelation of his position and what his, what his job is to do. And, uh, you know, uh, Tobiah and Sanballat and these guys, they're trying to pull him away and distract him. Distraction is a key tactic that, that Satan uses. He tries to distract. He tries to discourage. And he does it very often in very subtle ways. And so he's pulling them away and trying to do that. Well, Nehemiah leaves town. You remember he goes away and towards the end of the book of Nehemiah, and then he comes back. And when he comes back, they rehearse the word, and this is the, the background of this little passage that we're reading here. And before this, in verse 4, Elisha, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a great chamber. Where aforetime, or before, they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tides of the corn, and the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of the priests. Hold on now. Tobiah is one of those bad guys. And he's now moved into a room that was once used to house all the elements of worship and sacrifice. The tides were in there. The, the frankincense was in there. The new wine was in there. All of those things were in that room. And now it's all moved out because Tobiah is here. And they actually make a place for Tobiah and put him in, put him in that room. 
Verse 6, but in all the time was, was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashab did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the house of God. An enemy of the people of God has now got a room in the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Now, Nehemiah wasn't a passive kind of a guy. You wouldn't want him to be your pastor. You wouldn't want him to be your deacon either. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. He actually picks up his stove and his, and his refrigerator and his ironing board, and he tosses it all out in the parking lot. And he says, get out. You don't belong here. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chamber. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Whenever you stop the right kind of worship, somebody's going to move in right away. There's never a vacuum. Satan does not allow a vacuum to occur. So when they stop the right worship and they stop, you know, collecting the tides of the oil and the corn and the wine and, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the things that the priesthood should have. And you remember later on in the chapter, same chapter, Nehemiah goes around and he finds the, the, the Levites are out in the field working. Not, there's nothing wrong with the Levite out in the field working. But, you know, he asks him, he says, why are you out here? Why aren't you in the temple? He says, well, you know, people don't pay their tithes anymore. So the more they got away from the right commandments related to worship, guess what? The enemy moved right in. You take the right thing out, and Satan will move right in very quickly. And he set up house. How do we know? Because Nehemiah dismantled his house and threw it outside the door. And so I will tell you something, that the principle of Satan is that whenever you veer away from the thing that is right and established or reestablished in your life, if God has reestablished things well in your life, and you begin to move that out, uh, you know, for whatever reason, Satan will move right in there and find a place of residence. And I will tell you something, he's not an easy guy to get out. You need to have somebody like Nehemiah to come. Now, you can let, you can let your work take over. You can let your friends take over. Uh, you can let worldliness take over. You can get the pursuit of money and let that take over. There's all kinds of things that you can get involved with. And it displaces the real kind of intimacy that you should have with God. And I will tell you something. When you create a vacancy like that, Satan will move right in and take up residence right there. Are you hearing me this morning? Yet that's why the great, one of the great lessons that we find in the book of uh, Nehemiah is you remember when they built the wall, they had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other hand. You remember that? And I believe that is a parallel to the New Testament scripture in Thessalonians, which says that we should pray without ceasing. In other words, we always have our sword with us. We've got to work and we've got to do the things that we've got to do. But there should be this ongoing intimacy with God, not always in the temple, not always on your knees, and not always in service, but an ongoing kind of a interaction and an intimacy with God that we think about it and we speak about it and we put triggers there that remind us of, uh, you know, the things of God. And it might be something like a tape or a CD or something on the way home from work or whatever else. But you know what we've got? We as people who live in the world especially where the world is falling apart like it was in Nehemiah's time, we've got something else in the other hand that we can always use to be able to lean back on God and have Him not far away but right here.
Are we okay? Because when, it, when Nehemiah left town, all of a sudden there's a void. There's a, there's a relaxation there. That's why, you know, Satan will try to take advantage of whatever happens, like if there's a virus comes to town, and uh, all of a sudden now people are not meeting like they normally would, uh, there's, there can be a relaxation of standards. There can be a relaxation of things here. And we, you know what? we got all the excuses in the book. I'm not talking about genuine concern that people have. I'm not talking about genuine common sense that people exercise. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how the Satan will sometimes get in there and, and get on your shoulder and whisper things into your ear that, you know what, you can get away with now because, you know what, no one's around now. You're not at church every Sunday or you're not around. And, and, and so, th- In other words, somebody wants to move in right away. And when you discover that, you need to be like Nehemiah. Lord, anoint our people with that Nehemiah spirit and just take all of that and throw it out in the garbage and get it out of our way and get it out of our lives. That would be the best thing that could happen to you. So Satan's tactic is, is that when people are looking another way, he just moves right in. <clears throat> Paul writes it this way in the New Testament. He says, to whom, listen now, 2 Corinthians, to whom he, and he's talking about, this is the subject of uh, it, it, the conversations about forgiveness here. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. In other words, the reason I forgive is because I know how much Christ forgave me. And so, therefore, if I don't forgive you, then I won't be forgiven. So I want to be forgiven. This is Matthew chapter 17. You can go read it. Lest, because if you don't forgive, Satan should take advantage of us. But we're not ignorant of his devices, his tactics. Forgiveness or a lack of forgiveness can be a real trap for people because they can feel like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, somebody did something wrong to me. And it can be simply a mental perception. And Satan will anoint our thoughts, and he'll anoint us to think things about people that aren't even true. But if Satan's behind it, there's an evil purpose there. Are you following me this morning? But Paul is saying we're not ignorant of his devices. So in other words, if you've got to make something right, you should go do it. Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices, so we're going to go do it. We're, we're going to not let Satan get a foothold here. We're going to act on that. We're going, we're going to do that. Hey, it might be embarrassing. It might be uncomfortable here, but we're going to make that right. Because you know what? If we don't, Satan will get in there and start giving us another perception. He'll give us another thought, and that thought, I'll guarantee you, will be contrary to the Word of God. Second Corinthians 11, but I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. That's a device of Satan. What he said to Eve made sense, made logical sense. What he said to Eve was convincing enough to draw her in without even making her feel like she was doing something wrong. It was only after the fact, after Adam got involved and all the other things that happened there, that the, that the fig leaves came out. But when Eve committed the wrong with Satan, she never went and found a bunch of fig leaves and sewed up a dress and showed it to Adam and said, how do you like my dress? Does it make me fat? You understand what I'm saying? That when Satan painted it in such a way, forgive me, 
Satan painted it in such a way that when she did it, she didn't even realize she'd done something wrong. And here she is, here she is, uh, you know, willing to uh, bring Adam into that as well. And, and they, they don't even realize that they've done anything wrong whatsoever. And that's Satan's tactic is to paint it in such a way that it looks like it's kind of a normal thing uh, to have happen. And that's what he does. He works in the thought realm. That's his domain, right, is the mind. And so, therefore, that's what he's good at. It's a trap. That's why, as we said, we should pray without ceasing, that we should make sure that we keep that sword in our hand. Our text, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. So I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to press, and that word press, as we mentioned before, it means to, uh, it's an aggressive word, and it, it means to go after something in a hostile manner. It means to go after something with a passion, with a vengeance, with a determination that nothing's going to stop me. And if you get in my way, I'm going to go over to the top of you. And, and this is what Paul is saying, that, uh, you know what, there's nothing else. I don't want to have anything else hanging on to me. I want to, I want to make things right. I want to get things right. I want to be right with God. And I want to make it into, into heaven. I want to make it into glory. And so, therefore, I press. That's the word that he's using. Metaphorically, in the bottom of the screen there, it means to pursue or to seek after eagerly and earnestly to endeavor to acquire. We're going to acquire this. We're going to grab a hold of it. And we're not going to let go. That's going to be our determination. But I will tell you something that in a perfect world, this would be great if we didn't have obstacles. But we have obstacles. Like I mentioned to you before, we have things that get in the way. We have problems. We have an enemy. We have a world that's falling apart. So to try to do anything for God is a difficult thing. You have all kinds of things that get in the way. And there's a lot of fear in our world. There's a lot of fear. Because people don't know what's coming. They don't know what's next. Now, let me just quote a little from an article that I received. And I printed out this article so I could take it here. And this is this is something that... Uh, Really, it really surprised me. It really kind of shocked me when I read this. Uh, this was from a very trusted source, very uh, trusted website, and it, it, it outlined some of the things that are happening in the Middle East. Now, the Middle East is important for us because a, a prophet indicated very often, he said, if you want to see what's happening in the church, you look at the women. He said, if you want to see what's happening in, in the world, look at the Jews in the timeline, look at the Jews. And so a lot, of, a lot of our time today is not spent looking at or for headlines related to Israel because we've been bombarded with other headlines, right? Our news cycle is filled up with other things. And as a result of that, whenever, we, uh, whenever Satan has a chance, he's working undercover uh, to gain inroad wherever he can, just like he did back in the book of Nehemiah. Whenever there's an opening, Satan will try to get in there. Now, prophetically and scripturally, China is not a big player. Uh, they're, not a, um, they're not spoken about very much at all. Brother Branham rarely mentions 
China. They're there, but not not as a prominent uh, end-time group like Russia. Uh, Watch for Gog and Magog. Or we talk about the... Uh, you know, the Jewish people as a nation. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's other, other nationals. Uh, Revelation chapter 13 speaks of America without identifying the word America, but it identifies America. And, and so there's specific nations that are mentioned. But remember that God will use nations as tools like he used Babylon to go and punish Israel, right? And I came across this article and... I wanted to quote just a little portion of it here. The title is China's Emerging Middle Eastern Kingdom, and the subtitle is China's Drive for Supremacy is now underway in the Middle East, and it won't end there. This was written last week. Here's a quotation. China is advancing on the Middle East with ruthless determination because the region is of more vital interest to China than any other, aside from the Western Pacific. Western Pacific is where the uh, Taiwan is and all the other conflict that goes on over there. So it's a very strategic point for China. But the other strategic point is the Middle East. Indeed, China is actively working to oust the United States from the Middle East, a reality that the American strategic community would overwhelmingly prefer not to recognize, but one that is nonetheless becoming glaringly obvious. Now... This was a little bit of a surprise to me at the extent to which China is involved in the Middle East because China consumes 10.1 million barrels of oil a day. And uh, in order to get that, they have to, uh, they have to get those resources from other nations because China is not an oil-producing nation. So the second largest customer that Saudi Arabia has uh, is China. Half of all oil that's produced in Iraq goes to China. And they have made real significant inroads into the Middle East because they're trying to make sure that they have a constant supply of oil. That's not the only reason that they're interested in Israel in the Middle East here. One of the things that they did was they invested in a, uh, a, pol- in, in a policy uh, called One Belt, One Road. A year and a half ago, they had a meeting uh, where they talked about an idea that they had years ago. Uh, some of you might remember the phrase, a Silk Road, which was a, a roadway that the Chinese built out of China to export all their expensive silk and fabrics and threads and so forth and different products that they made in China. And they called it the Silk Road. And it was a road that connected China without going on a boat uh, to other parts of the world. It was a simple one-way road, and it, it, it traversed the Himalayas and so forth. Well, they have increased that uh, idea, and they have developed what's called One Belt, One Road. They had a meeting a year and a half ago, and they indicated to people that they've already spent into the T trillions of dollars in developing this One Belt, One Road now, which connects China with uh, Pakistan and many other nations of the world to be able to have their products to be able to ship out and then their, the oil and resources they need in order to flow back uh, into China. And uh, this is a, uh, a road now or a uh, mainstream thoroughfare that allows uh, not only 
trucks to be able to go back and forth in and out of China, but also for maritime routes. And the routes in the green here are maritime routes, which allow for oil. For instance, you see in the bottom of the screen there in Kenya and Djibouti and places like that, which come out of the, the, that part of the world, and then all the Middle East over here. And uh, let me see if I got, yeah, over here in the Middle Eastern area right here, here's Greece. And so the Saudi Arabian Peninsula is right in the middle where my arrow is. And the oil that they, a lot of the oil they get all comes in this region right here. Israel is right in the middle right here, little spot. And a lot of this comes into this uh, area over here in China, which is a big country. And they're also interested in making sure that they form a protective ring around India, which is their traditional enemy and also somebody who has nuclear weapons. Now, in foreign policy, the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, remains dedicated to the international revolution. Now, let me define what that is. The new world they envision, however, is not a Marxist paradise, but one in which China will replace the United States as a dominant power in a Sino-centric world order. This means that their ambition is, number one, to have the Chinese currency to be the reserve currency of the world and replace the American dollar. And that means that their money becomes much, much more valuable. They are smart enough not to attack the United States outright. They wouldn't do that. Because they know that their warfare and their technology is not near as capable as the United States is. So we're going to go at this another way. We're going to deal with this, sorry, we're going to deal with this by courting the neighbors of um, the neighbors of people in this all this region right here, who at the at the moment or have been traditionally allies with the United States, and to court them and invest in their infrastructure and to work with them. So, for instance, uh, I was in Zambia last year, and uh, I was just absolutely amazed at the construction and the cranes and the buildings going up and the big hotels and things that were there. Uh, in the middle of Africa, in the middle of Zambia, in Lusaka. And I asked, the five, asked I began to study about that. And I began to look at that and think, why, you know, that's quite an economy that they have. And they said the, the average Zambian person really hated this because all of it was Chinese money that has come into the country in order for them to get their natural resources, their minerals and oil shipped back uh, to China. And they provide no interest loans and grants and everything else. So they keep everybody working. Everybody's got money in their pocket to buy Chinese goods, which flood their market. And uh, they, have a, they have a control over that whole region of the world. Now, let me read a little bit more. For China, the Middle East is not only the source of a much-needed oil. It is also the home of the Jewish state. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In terms of population, Israel is minuscule. I mean, it's insignificant. Six million people, I think, is there. But it is a cyber superpower, a global leader in artificial intelligence, and a spectacular innovator of next-gen weaponry. So, in other words, when Israel develops a plane, a fighter plane, or they have guided missile systems, or their anti-missile defense systems that they have on the ground, they are cutting edge. Nobody makes them better. Nobody renovates them and makes them more technically advanced than Israel does. And so, therefore, even though they're small, they are technically and militarily very smart and very powerful. They have to be because they live in a tough neighborhood, right? Everybody still with me? 
And they, they've learned to survive by being very smart. And they put their money, they've invested into research and development that has allowed them to have weapon systems that far exceed many other countries. They, they work with America and do, they, up to this point, they've done a lot of uh, uh, co-training with, uh, with the U.S. and uh, naval exercises and Air Force exercises and so forth. Well, China is very interested in getting that technology because that's the only way they could be a threat to any other superpower in the world. So they come into Haifa. We've been to Haifa. And they come into Haifa and completely rebuild the port for Israel. They invite the prime minister to come to China, and they wine and dine him on green tea and all the other things that they have in China. What China's heavily bureaucratized one-party state lacks is the capacity to innovate and solve real-world technical challenges quickly. Israel has in spades, along with the unique ability to see inside and understand the capacity of American techno-military complex, Jerusalem would play an indispensable role in helping Beijing achieve both its China 2025 goals, which is that belt and tire road and system where they distribute and receive materials from all over the world, and its military modernization efforts if if it were not sheltering under the protective umbrella of the United States military. So therefore, China always has a motive. They always have a motive to become involved in a nation or an area. Their partners in all of this, interestingly enough, is Russia. And between Russia, China, and Iran, they have kind of a triangle formed where they do lots of things, and China's in the background... And in a very real sense, they are neutral against the United States. But the motive is is that they want to develop a reserve currency. They want to have power and influence. They want to have a continuous supply of oil. And they want to have a much bigger exercise of control in the Middle East. Here's what's ironic. The U.S. government, in the past two administrations, this one and and the previous administration, have made the statement publicly, let someone else's blood be shed on the sands of the Middle East. We're tired of trying to straighten it out. We'll pull back and let somebody else do it. When you create a vacuum, this is what I said about Nehemiah, when you create a vacuum, somebody moves right into it. And China and Russia have seized that moment to move right into the Middle East with mega money and all kinds of intentions. The intentions are not good. The coordination between Moscow and Beijing in the Middle East is part of a much larger story and is much bigger than what we can talk about today. In the past six years, we have met nearly 30 times. Xi Jinping said about Putin last year upon his arrival in Moscow for a state visit. Russia is the country that I have visited the most times, and President Putin is my best friend and colleague. For his part, Putin replied that the Chinese-Russian ties had reached an unprecedented level and described the relationship between the two countries as global partnership and strategic cooperation. So in other words, this is a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. What, what, I can get something from you, you can get something from me. There's still lots of tensions, there's lots of differences that are there. But China knows how to scratch the back of lots of different nations, especially poorer nations. So the other day I was reading, I was just uh, happened to be somewhere looking at headlines, and I, uh, that's my problem. You know, these, most of us, we just kind of look, look, grab headlines and don't really read into it. But then one caught my attention, and it was how England, it said the English government was not strong enough to push China out of the picture when it come to Kuwait. 
Danny, I don't know how you say Huawei, the phone company. But Danny's part Chinese, I think, so he would know that. Huawei. My way or the highway, I think is how you say it. But Danny's not Chinese. You know, you know the, the phones, right, that, that the president got on about and banned Huawei from establishing itself in the United States because of the data issues and so forth. And this is, this is big stuff. This is big stuff. And uh, <clears throat> I was thinking, why would England be not strong enough to push China back? Because China had promised England they were going to install their complete 5G network in the country under the banner of the highway company. That company was going to come in and finance the whole rebuilding. Hey, look around. If you haven't seen it, look around. Ask Josh Godwin the next time he's here. Look around. He'll show you pictures of the, uh, the 5G towers that are now going up all over the country here. It's not by highway. It's by our government and phone companies and so forth. Way, way. Huawei. Hooray. Huawei. I saw a Huawei phone over in Amsterdam. I was going through the airport, and I saw a phone there, and I thought, hmm, what if I bought one just for fun? What if I bought one? But I didn't. Huawei is the name of this very powerful, big, rich Chinese company. And so they offered to the British, they said, let us come in, and we'll, we'll develop your entire 5G network and put up all your towers and all your infrastructure and your software, and we'll do the whole thing, and we won't charge you anything for it. So the British government says, hmm, that's, we're talking a lot of sacks of rice here. So, you know, let's, let's do it. Because, why would, why would England agree to that? Is because China is England's biggest customer for North Sea oil. So if England says, we're going to kick Yahweh, how, how do you say it? Huawei, out of the country, we're going to grieve the Chinese. We won't receive uh, the, the network system. And also now we'll have a glut of oil that we can't sell. So now England's revenue drops substantially because a lot of their uh, GDP is based on the sale of their oil, North Sea oil. It's very popular. And as a result of that, the Americans are trying to push the British and say, hey, you need to get these guys out of your country as well. And the British says, no, we can't do it. We're not strong enough to do it. Our economy is not strong enough to do it. So the headline pops up. And I'm thinking, why is that so? Why is that so? When you stand back and look at the bigger picture, here's a different article. U.S. funds flow into Africa are slowing. U.S. funds flowing into Africa are slowing. This week, Beijing will host the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. The summit, which happens every three years, is attended by representatives from 52 African nations, and they get together and they talk about everything, trade, technology, uh, education, everything else that, that is important to them. In, watch, watch this, what's said. In 2015, China pledged as much as $60 billion towards Africa's development in interest-free loans, hospitals, roadways, uh, schools, all kinds of things that go on there. The Asian country, in fact, has increased its investment in the continent around 520%. So from where they were, they've increased that investment. Kenya agreed to let China finance and build a standard-gauge railroad system 
uh, 3.8. They were on a narrow gauge, and they could not uh, accept cargo from other countries. And so China went in and completely rebuilt the railway system at, at the cost of $3.8 billion. It was the largest infrastructure project since it declared independence from the United Kingdom in 1963. So China comes in with a checkbook and says, hey, don't you worry about the railroad. We'll, buy, we'll pay for the railroad. We'll build it. You give us your oil. You give us your minerals. You give us your gold. You give us your, your products there, and we'll take care of this other thing. You'll be able to trade with the rest of Africa using trains. Meanwhile, U.S. funds flow to Af- U.S. fund flows to Africa. U.S. money flowing to Africa has been receding. And they're expected to slow even more during Trump's administration. Why? Because the philosophy in the current administration is one of nationalism. We're going to look after America first. So you withdraw from other nations. Guess what? Somebody moves right in. They take the true worship out of the tabernacle in Jerusalem. Tobiah moves right in. Whenever there's a vacuum, Satan will move right in. Now, this article is really interesting. And for those of you that would like to have it, you're thinking, wow, I'd like to have that article. I printed out a bunch of copies, and they're in the, in the lobby out there for you. You can have it. Now, for those of you that just thought, well, I'm going to go to the restroom, and I'm going to sneak out and get an advanced copy, all of the references for that article are right there at the bottom of the screen. So people who are uh, online listening, they can write down that, and that link, and you can go, you can go read it yourself. And for those of you that are saying, well, I can't read the words that are that small, uh, I can't do that, I emailed you this link before service began. So when all of you go home and check your email, it's all there. All I'm telling you is this, is that sometimes we look at the headlines up here and we're seeing, you know, virus this and racism this and all the other things that are currently hot buttons in our culture. And you know what? There are things that are happening below the surface that really impact us. Because he who blesses Israel is blessed. Let me tell you, China and Russia are not there to bless Israel. They are there to rape the land of its resources for their own gain. And if they could, they would destroy. You need to look at the article, uh, and and there's there's other good information that's there. But you've got to dig, because Satan doesn't want to put it on the front page, on the front headlines there and see it. I'm giving you a, a, a good resource that you can take a look at. All of this amounts to the press around us. Now, we, we, again, we think, well, you know, these other things that are happening in the world, and, you know, do I need to wear a mask? Do I not need to wear a mask? You know, the election and all the rest of it. <clears throat> What's happening is our world has changed very quickly. Very quickly. I mean, frighteningly quickly, our world has changed. I think we would all agree our world is probably never going to go back to what we call normal ever again. If that's true, and we are on the skids to moving out of here, in other words, we're in motion to move out of here, to us, the thing that we should be focusing on is not, is not, um, you know, our securing wealth or, uh, you know, long-term futures in our world. I mean, you got to, kids, you got to go to school, and you still have to wash your hands and all of that. We still have to do all of that. But what I'm trying to do is get your gaze shifted away from the waves that are flopping on the shore to a little bit of a deeper perspective and looking out and seeing, oh, there are things that are happening that are really important. The only real direct reference Brother Manna made to the squeeze, and the squeeze is that season of time, little one, that happens prior to the tribulation. The only time Brother Branham, to my knowledge, 
addresses it directly is right here. Let's take a look at it real quick, and we're going to close. The third pull, he said, has been vindicated. I'm sure you all know what it is. third pull is the opening of the word, reveal the mysteries that are contained in it, right? Very simple definition. There'll never be an impersonation of that because it cannot be. Now it's in existence. Right at this time now, it's just happened, so it would identify, so it could identify its presence among you, but it will not be used in a great way until this council begins to tighten up. So just take note of a couple of things here. That when you really see the sparks fly, is when we get a religious or spiritual involvement in this whole thing. Not a medical one. The Pentecostals, he said, when it does, the Pentecostals and so forth can almost impersonate anything can be done. But when that time comes, when the squeeze comes down, then you'll see what you've seen temporarily be manifested in the fullness of its power. And this will be the thing, to my opinion. I don't, th- I, I don't say the Lord tells me this, so this will be a thing that will start the rapturing faith for the going away. Now, I contend today that that's already begun. Are we okay? Rapturing faith has already begun. We're not caught away. The rapturing faith is for the going away. It'll be unto the going away. It isn't the going away. It's the start of whatever it is that takes us to the catching away. I must lay quiet for a while. It's interesting to see how many things in this statement are actually fulfilled. I must lay quiet. Remember, and who is listening to this tape? You might see such a change in my ministry right away, dropping back, not going up, but dropping back. We're right at the age now, and it can't be, it can't go any further. We have to wait just a minute until this happens over here to catch up, and then the time comes. I don't know what that means. Sorry. He's, he knows something here that I don't know. And he's talking about things catching up with one another, but it's thoroughly identified. So let's just assure ourselves of this. If God opened it up and brought it for the going away of the bride, eventually you'll get everything you need to go away. Okay? You're not going to be left out because he's not clarifying this right here in this particular sentence here. Don't worry. If you're meant to be there, you'll be there. God will make whatever you need to know clear during that time. Your job is to press through all of the darkness, all of the muck, all the distractions, where Satan says, come on down here. You know, we're doing a great, we're doing something down here in the valley. No, he says, no, Nehemiah says, we're, we got a great work going on here. I'm not going to be distracted at all. You've got to be like Nehemiah. With all the distractions that exist in our world, you've got to say, no, no, no. There's a great work that's going on right here in my heart, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to let anything take away from that. Friends, uh, immorality, the internet, money, whatever else. I, I, I gotta do my, I gotta do things, gotta put bread on the table, gotta, I gotta wash my hands, uh, all of that kind of stuff. But that's not my chief occupation. My chief occupation is to stay with what God's commissioned me to stay with. And for the bride, our chief commission is to stay with the Word. Right? Not stay with CNN, but stay with the Word. There is coming a time upon this nation to where this nation is going to exercise all the power of the beast that had before it, which was pagan Rome. When it comes to papal Rome, this nation will do that. Revelation 13 explains it. The lamb come out of the earth, and the other beasts come up out of the water. Thickness, multitudes of people. This lamb comes up where there were no people. A lamb represents a religion. Remember, it smoked like a lamb. It was a lamb. That's what he says. In other words, in other words, I'll just say this. 
all of these players on the chessboard have to be in place, like China and Russia and Iran and Iraq and all those other pieces there. Israel has to be in its place, in its land. All of that has to take place. Gentile bride has to have the message. They have to have it in their hands. They have to be believing it in their heart. That's why I print it. That's why we print it as a church. We get it out uh, because I think that's where rapturing faith lays. I was expecting maybe a different response there. I believe rapturing faith lays in the message of the hour. And so therefore, I, I, I am, and I know you feel the same way. I know you do, and you know you're not saying that this morning. Uh, I, I believe that we're, we're very keenly interested in making sure anyone in the world who wants the message in their language can get it, and they can have it, and they can take it home and read it in their own house. I, I think that's a reasonable thing to try to try to do for people, and I, I'm trying to do everything I can with the resources I have available to me to do it. And uh, I, I think that's a wonderful way. To, if I'm going to spend my time in the last days here on this earth, I'd like to spend my time doing that. If I can't do anything else, if I can't travel, I, I think that's a worthy cause myself. Now, <clears throat> if that if that's where rapturing faith lays then the bride has to have access to the message. If she has access to the message, it's a matter of time before Satan, through the former religion, really tries to press that bride. And when that happens, it's, it's, it, by, by all indications, when that begins to close in on the bride, God takes her away. God catches her away in a secret catching away of the bride. She'll not be caught in the tribulation. She'll not be pulled into that. She'll not be swept down into that abyss of darkness that uh, we call tribulation. She will rather be delivered prior to that time, and she will ascend in the glory in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we shall have our place at the wedding supper. That glorious destiny of the people of God, as I referred to in that opening psalm. Got to think about what you just heard. We're done, okay? Matter of fact, Sister Becky, come on. She's and, and musicians, if you slide up here. But I don't want you to quit on me yet, because we're going to have communion in just a moment. Think about what you just heard. Think about what I just said in this service. I pack a lot in there. I say a lot of words, and <clears throat> I gust sometimes, you know. But there's a lot of facts, a lot of information, a lot of quotations there that relate to the end time. Your only question now, right now, is this. Is that true? If that's true, is this it? I mean, is this this what the end of all things look like? Where you have this conglomeration of nations moving around and... Oil and phones and networks and governments and elections and diseases and pestilences and all the rest of it. A lot of it, a lot of it, we've got to admit, a lot of it's confusing. I mean, there's a lot of things that are taking place that are just, there are smoke screens everywhere and someone's saying this and they're really doing that over here. Let me tell you, wherever there's confusion, the Holy Spirit hasn't caused it. The Holy Spirit operates in light and in clarity. Satan works in confusion. Satan works in darkness and differing opinions and all the rest of it. Where we're moving into is a time where, hey, it's either light or darkness, one or the other. And you've got you to think about 
all of what I just said. If this is that press, if this is that squeeze, if, if, we're, if we're moving into that time, then from everything I understand, there's no retreat out of the tribulation. There's no retreat out of the squeeze either. There's no going back and saying, all right, I want things the way they were. I mean, we may get a respite. We may get a little time where things level out. and yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, we all get our stimulus payment and everybody's happy and, you know, we go on. But what if it's not? I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying that all of these things that I've read to you there are either current events that are going on, written by Jews, because those articles are written by Jews, or from a prophet or from the Bible, one or the other. That's what I've read to you this morning. And if, and if, and if that's true, I mean, you've got to think. You've got you to go home and think about that. You've got you to gotta say this, at least I'm glad I'm in communion with Christ. I don't really understand why he chose me, but I'm glad he did. I don't really understand God's design, but you know what? I'm glad I was a part of that design for the last day. And if this is true, and I didn't figure all this out, I don't have to figure out how to change my body. I just got to be open to what God brings that will change my body. And he will. He'll get you there. He brought you this far. He'll get you there. He's our place of rest. He's our strength. He is our He's our rock that we hold on to. We're not forsaken. We're not cast aside here. We're not like the rest of the world that is not being thought about. All I'm saying to you today is that you just need to continually just lift your eyes a little bit higher. Don't go with the world a little lower. Go a little higher. Look, look at th- things differently because your knowing is what matters. Your understanding of things is what matters. And you need to be looking up and saying, what's, re- what's God really doing? What's God allowing to come to pass in the earth? And then, Lord, where do you want me to be? Where do I need to stand on this stage? Where do I need to stand in this whole thing? Let me be in the right place. Thinking about all that is a good thing. Thinking about all this is a good thing. Making things in your life as clean as possible is a good thing. Making things right with your neighbor if you need to is a good thing. Gather your children around and say, we're going to pray that God blesses this family, keeps us separated from Sodom, and we're going we're to ask God to protect and bless this family. Not only from the current scourges that are out there, but we don't want to have a wrong influence. We want to have the wisdom that provides everything we have need of so the expectation is fulfilled. This message brings wisdom. Reading the Bible brings wisdom. The wisdom will guide you into the right outcome. Sure will. Sure will. Let's stand to our feet. I think it's a good moment for us to think about communion here. Let's sing that little chorus, Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. 
And uh, let's just, we're going to switch gears now for a moment. So let's just worship for a moment here. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Oh, give thanks with a grateful heart. We give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus And now let the weak say I am strong, let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has
for us to be able to worship together and to be able to sing his praises. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that he's given us a key that we can open up the door into that safe place, a place of a Goshen for us. Let's sing this morning a little bit more. I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to majesty. As we sing this, we're going to have our deacons come in just a moment and we're going to pray over the bread and the wine. We already have it separated here for you so that we can distribute it among you very quickly. And uh, we certainly are honored to have all of you here today and and, uh, you're welcome to participate. If you'd rather not, uh, you're welcome to uh, slip out. That's certainly fine. Slip out through the back there. It's fine. But if you want to stay and we're just going to do the bread and the wine and pray over it and we'll take it together and uh, then we'll sing a chorus and we'll dismiss you. So let's sing this uh, this morning here. Majesty Worship is Majesty Unto Jesus be all Lift up on high. 
by Christ Jesus the King. Father, as we approach this part of the service now today, I ask and pray that you would first of all forgive us, Lord, of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Anything in our lives, Lord, we invite you now to comb through, look deeply within us, Lord, and if any way we have offended you or another, Lord, may we be forgiven today. Fathers, we hear these stirring things about what's taking place in our world. It Sometimes, Lord, it, it shocks us, it stirs us to realize that things that have been prophesied, now we're living in the middle of them. Now we're living in the unfolding of them. And Lord, I just pray that this communion, Lord, it really would be a statement that we as a people, we live in communion with you. We have our sword in our hand. And Lord, we desire to walk every day following you and being sensitive to you. Bless the people, Lord, I pray. Bless this little service now, this little time that we have to be able to commune with you. Lord, may it be a personal moment. May it be a private moment with you. We'll give you thanks for it in the name of Jesus. And for your glory, we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We'll ask the deacons if you'll come. And <coughs> I'll take the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to let uh, Keith and, and Lucas, you want to take your places. Sister Becky's going to stay and play for us here uh, this evening. And